Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, I'm going to be talking with Yegor Sack, who is the co-founder of Winscribe, um, a free VPN and ad blocking system that has over 43 million active users. Uh, we're going to be talking to Yegor a little bit about his, his background. I mean, he came um, originally, I think, from Belarus uh, and immigrated to Canada, started a business from a pretty young age, and um, in addition to Winscribe, is uh, is in, involved with the um, the co-founding of another company that we'll talk about. Um, so we've got uh, you know a lot of things here to touch on, but before we do that, let's say hi to Yegor. Yegor, how are you, how are you today? Hey, hey uh, I'm doing quite all right. Good. Are you? Where are you at? Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm from Toronto. Uh, you know, we're based in Toronto pr primarily. Most of our staff are in Canada or somewhere around Toronto. But you know, ever since COVID, we've kind of expanded the reach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm I'm assuming most people are working remote these days. Yeah. Yeah. No. Pretty much uh, everyone exclusively works uh, remotely. Um, like we do have an office. I'm actually sitting in the office right now. I'm one of the few people that actually makes the trek from home to the office. I personally can't really work at home. It's too distracting, and you know, a couple of people also feel that way. But you know, our office is pretty much a ghost town right now. Yeah, I have the same challenge. I work remotely, but the company I work primarily with um, is based in Budapest. So um, the, a commute really isn't an option for me from from Seattle to Budapest. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got to I've got to uh, kind of put up with all the annoyances of the distractions at home. But then again, you know, with every with every you know everything's a trade off. So uh, I I don't actually miss sitting in 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 traffic or doing all that stuff. So. Yeah, I know tra good. traffic is, is is a thing, but you know, honestly, I'd rather sit uh, for like an hour in traffic than work from home. <laughs> that must be, be it's that bad, huh? No, no, yeah. seriously. No, it's, I, I don't know. In that, you get to that whole like level of our ability to focus and concentrate. Sometimes I can go to Starbucks and I can concentrate more effectively there, even in you know, in a noisy crowded Starbucks, than I can at home, just because I'm able to tune out all those other things that you know people I don't know. But if I hear my kids talking about some random thing, all of a sudden I get sucked into the conversation. And of course, there's the kitchen right there with all the temptation that it has. So. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't have any kids, but I do have a wife and a dog, and uh, that's a lot of distractions j just with those two. And and you're never really like you know if you work from home, you're pretty much never really at work and never really at home. Uh, you're kind of this like weird limbo state. Uh, and I don't, I, I kind of like to separate the two, even though I still work from home regardless when I am home. But it's just nice to have that separation most of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, before we before we jump into Winscribe, um, maybe you can set the stage and, and talk a little bit about your background because uh, you know you were born in Belarus, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm originally from Belarus. Uh, my parents uh, in the 90s decided that they don't want to live in that country anymore, and you know, rightfully so. Which a lot of people learned about the existence of Belarus and our crazy president over there in the last, uh, I guess, couple of years, especially mm -hmm. very recently with the whole Ukrainian thing. You know, him being one of the few supporters of uh, of the Russian government. I mean, it's not a really great place uh, to live if you want to actually do anything, uh, you know, entrepreneurial. Because, I mean, the, the government there is extremely strict. You know, once you get big enough, a bunch of dudes will come to your house and be like, okay, well, uh, we're just going to take 80% of what you make. Our share, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you say no, uh, you'll be in prison, right? And that's best case scenario. Right. So, um, yeah, my parents uh, moved to Canada well, uh, in 1999. 
think I was 11 or 12 at that point. Yeah, and I've been in Canada ever since. And when did your interest in the internet and coding and all that start? Uh, pretty much as soon as uh, I came to Canada, because I didn't have internet in Belarus. You know, uh, we had a computer, uh, you know, an offline computer for probably like the last two years of me being in Belarus. But I mean, I didn't really use it for anything productive. It was just, you know, video games for the most part. But, you know, I was 10. And without internet, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, learn anything. The only thing you got is, you know, what you can bring on a floppy disk, right? And <laughs> not a lot of variety over there. But as soon as we got internet and, you know, I, I discovered that, hey, there's all this information out there and you can literally teach anything to yourself without, you know, going to school. Even though I did go to school after, but, uh, you know, internet turned out to be a really great tool for just education and discovery and figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Yeah, I, I'm curious because, you know, the the former Soviet Union and modern day Russia is kind of well known and recognized for their STEM programs. And I mean, you know, you were there at a relatively young age, but did that have any impact on your kind of, you know, decision to, to well, I mean, you're in, into games, but, <laughs> you know, ultimately, did that help you when you actually started using um, the computers for developing things? Uh, no, not at that time. I, you know, uh, being a kid, I was not aware about any of those things, even though like uh, I, my dad's friend, he kind of operated a kind of software development company. Uh, then he kind of moved it out of Belarus because, you know, he had to because <laughs> he got right. big enough. <laughs> uh, but I was that was not really on my radar at the time. I was just a, a dumb little kid. Yeah, um, it's funny because so, so he moved his software company. I, I actually did hear you talk on, a, on, a, on another podcast and something you said about, you know, uh, bricks and mortar companies versus, you know, IT kind of uh, or intellectual property based companies. One of the advantages, if you're IP based, is that you can pick up and go. And you know, for example, I mean, I don't know if you know who you, uh, you've all know Harari. The um, he wrote the book *Sapiens*. He talks about you know, if China were to invade Silicon Valley, what would they get? You know, they'd get all, all the every everybody who, who's there would just leave. They'd get hop on a plane and go to Mumbai or or wherever, right? Um, and I'm I was curious with your you know your dad's friend's software business. Was that an option where they just pick up and move to another place? Like honestly, he moved. Uh... Uh, honestly, like in the early or mid nineties okay. uh, at that point. So uh, I'm not really privy to the true reasons for, for that move, but I mean, you're right, you know, brick and mortar businesses are a lot easier to take, you know, you just come in, you take it, you know, staff are there. It's not really, you know, hyper-technical work, you know, and these, these oil wells are part. ours now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's no oil wells in Belarus, but any kind yeah. of, you know, non-tech business, you know, it's really easy to take. Yeah. I did have an office in Belarus for one of my early, uh, for my previous projects before we kind of started up a little satellite office to do a whole bunch of dev work for kind of like a, a cloud storage thing that I was uh, kind of a contractor out to to build out. And we did a whole full-blown office and that's where I learned all these kind of the different, like, oh, it's nicer to be a, a software company because, you know, the government uh, is not going to touch you, at least for now. But, you know, in order for, for you to be, quote unquote, untouchable for that period of time and have extremely favorable tax regime, you effectively have to open up all your books to the government. They see everything that you do. Uh, you know, they see all, all the money flows, everything. And if they ever change their mind in the future, uh, you know, right. <laughs> you have not, you, you have, you have no recourse basically because you are an open book to them and then they can dictate whatever policy that they wish. Right. 
and well, you know that that satellite office has been shut down since then and but the the project that kind of came out of it after we stopped working on the on the cloud storage thing that was a massive failure much like most things i tried to be honest like every like most <laughs> most things fail like 98% of the stuff you've tried will be a colossal waste of time but you'll learn some something in the process and that's pretty much the biggest takeaway from trying but yeah that that team kind of uh, decided to build their own project i kind of financed it for for the year and they did end up launching a startup which still exists today uh, they're called uh, i think they were called battle me at that point now i think it's called uh, rap fame it's basically like a battle rap uh, application where you can battle rap like other people in the world they're pretty big i think they have like over like 20 or 30 million users at this point Wow. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I always tell my boys and, and anybody I work with, you know, as long as you learn from your mistakes, then it's, then there is some value there. Right. So it's, it's really important. Um, but one thing I'm curious about is I, I have noticed that some people are, they have this entrepreneurial spark and a lot of people don't. And, and you had it from a very young age. Um, you know, as soon as you moved to Canada, you started creating websites um, and I, I think one of them was, uh, you, you created a video where you were smashing iPhones or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it wasn't just a single video. It was kind of like a series of things. I think I was like, I don't know, 17 at the time. And, and, you know, iPods were all the rage, you know, people were like really obsessed with them. So myself and, and a buddy of mine, uh, we kind of like, Hey, what if we, uh, you know, made a little website and kind of like got people to donate money so we can go and buy this iPod and then kind of open it up right in the store and just destroy it uh, immediately after purchase. Uh, you know, uh, I know right now it seems like, okay, what's the big deal? You know, but at that time, you know, there's no YouTube, there's no streaming, there's no social media. The internet was a very different place. Right. right. And, uh, you know, we, we created this website and, uh, you know, it got linked on all these different places. We raised, uh, I think we raised the money to, to purchase this, uh, iPod, I think in a few weeks, uh, we did the video. It was, uh, very well received. I, I've done like a whole series of interviews at the time with like TV stations and radio stations and ended up in, our, in the Toronto newspaper as well in the lifestyle section. It, it was pretty cool. You know, when you're like a young kid, like there was like a lot of attention. So we're like, Hey, cool. Uh, so what do we do next? Well, I mean, like the Xbox 360, PS3 and Nintendo Wii were coming out shortly after. So we're like, Hey, uh, let's, let's do those things as well. So we, we kind of like set up the three websites. We raised all the money, I think in less than 24 hours for all the projects. And then at that point we were kind of like faced with a conundrum, you know, it's kind of like people are literally sending us money. Uh, you know, we already raised what, what, uh, what, what is, you know, what we actually needed to facilitate this project. So it was kind of like, do, do we become greedy or do we become, or do we just stay honest? We decided to stay honest. Uh, we kind of cut off the, the donations as soon as we raised whatever we actually needed, created those, uh, uh, you know, waited until those actual products were released. We were, you know, camping out in line to be, you know, the first ones to purchase them. So a buddy of mine had to like camp out in front of a Best Buy for, I think two days in a tent uh, for uh, for the first one, and it was like about a day for the second project. But yeah, uh, we created those videos. I mean, the, uh, and uh, around that time, uh, you know, hosting video it was really annoying because there's no YouTube, right? So at that point, right. you had to like contact all these different uh, what what they're called mirror websites. Be like, hey, can you mirror my uh, my little video file here so I can distribute it to a, a few million people, right? And you had to have all these partnerships, uh, and then. One day I got an email. I, honestly, I forget what, what, the, what the guy's name was, but he's one of the was one of the founders of YouTube. He's like, "Hey, we have this new service called YouTube. You can upload your video." 
there's no bandwidth cost. It's all free. Uh, we'll we'll take care of everything. And and we did. And you know, I, I think the the Smash My PS3 video was one of the one of the top videos on YouTube at that at that time, back when they had like a top listing. You know, we were like in the top ten you know, YouTube videos of all time. So that's pretty cool. Is it is it still up there? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, all those videos are still on YouTube. Uh, the PS3 one, ironically, was uh, like a few months after the project. Uh, well, after we released everything, uh, Sony uh, submitted a DMCA complaint <laughs> for the video, so it was actually taken taken down for a few years. And then I, like a few years ago, I noticed this, and I'm like, oh, I should probably submit a counterclaim. And they did restore it because there was no actual copyright infringement in the video. I'm, so, I'm looking at YouTube right now, and I see smashed my PS3 7.4 million years. Uh, excuse me, 7.4 million views, and the poster is a guy named Yegor. So <laughs> that was uh, four years ago. So all those years that you missed the the because I mean, otherwise the numbers would be probably you know three or four or five times that. That's uh, but potentially, but I mean, like uh, most of the views were early on, like in the first, you know, several weeks, you know, 7 million views for in early days of YouTube. That's that was a lot. That would be like, you know, a billion views right now. Right. In terms of, you know, the sheer it, size. I mean, we're getting kind of really off topic, but I, I remember one time because um, I used to brainwash my kids and tell them all the, you know, the the the, the, the right music to listen to. And um, and I was like, uh, check this out, boys. And I showed, showed them this, you know, this Led Zeppelin song. And I was like, check it out, like 12 million views. And my youngest son goes, what about the Green Froggy video? And I was like, the Green Froggy video? <laughs> Green Froggy had like 80 million views, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Baby Shark has over a billion or something like that. <laughs> nope. So yeah. I, I was no longer the house DJ after that. Um, the uh, Do you know who Mr. Beast is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I had, I wasn't, he wasn't on my radar. My boys are like, oh, how could you not know? Uh, but I was listening to Joe Rogan and and he he had him on. And the guy is actually pretty cool. And he seems to be pretty humble, pretty grounded, pretty young, like 23 years old. But I, the, the, the reach that his videos, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. But his background where he said when he first started, um, you know, he was just uploading stuff and that's all he did. He was just obsess about, uh, YouTube every day. And then he found these three other people that were similar to him and they would be literally, they would talk every single day to try to figure out how to get more views. And they all start hitting about a hundred million, uh, views right, right within a couple months of each other. Um, but, um, it's a, I don't know, pretty interesting story. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I too could have been a YouTube celebrity cause, uh, you know, we, we were like, okay, cool. Now, now this is done. We had all those websites. I mean, there there was a financial component to that as well, you know, because I mean, uh, to to watch the video, you know, also like slightly before, because YouTube came kind of like towards the end of the projects, mm -hmm. uh, you know, early on to watch the video, you had to go on our website, right, and click on all those mirrors and watch it, right, and you know, around those mirrors there would be ads, right. So uh, at that point, uh, there was like a, pl a platform called Yahoo Advertising Network, I think it was called. It was it was it was kind of like very similar to what. Google ads are now kind mm -hmm. of a contextual advertising. I think they were the first ones to market and they paid like ridiculous amount amounts of money per click at, at the time. Wow. I think at, at lunchtime, like they'll pay you like $2 for like any click on your website. And you could also like, you know, skin those uh, ads to kind of look like parts of the website. So, uh, I mean, uh, we, we kind of, uh, at that, you know, especially when you're super young, I think it was like already 18 by that point. Uh, you know, I think we, we got maybe, 50,000 US uh, in ad revenue in like, a, in like a few weeks during the spike when everybody wanted to see that video. 
so that was pretty cool. It's like, hey, like all this like free money raining from the internet. Maybe I should continue <laughs> doing something like this. <laughs> well, so so then and then and did that lead? How did that actually evolve in for, to um, the the founding of Windscrab? Oh, I mean, that's I think there's about <laughs> 10 to 15 years in between that. So at that point, you know, I was just making very like basic static little websites, you know, just basic, you know, here's an HTML page uh, with some CSS, right? Not a lot of programming involved because I was not a programmer. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were planning to do this uh, iPhone smashing video because iPhone was coming out just shortly after that. But we, we would have to like fly to New York because it was it was launching in, U in the United States and, you know, we we're in Canada and we kind of wussed out. We we're like, oh, we'll probably get beaten up there. So uh, so we so we basically just didn't go <laughs> like we literally wussed out to go to New York to smash this uh, iPhone uh, <laughs> at launch date. And I guess that was the end of my YouTube career at that point. So I was kind of like, okay, cool. I mean, let's let's figure out something else that's interesting. You know, at that point, I was also operating a few of the like random, like what what I call like humor portals. You know, which is just basically you know collections of like funny pictures, funny videos, kind of like e-bombs world style. I don't know if that name means anything to you. It's on my e list now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. e-bombs world used to be like the uh, the entertainment portal in the early 2000s, like 2001-ish or so. So it's just, it's literally just like, here, here's funny stories, jokes, pictures, like stuff that I liked. So I was doing a whole bunch of that type of stuff. And I was uh, I was like posting on, on forums for where other, uh, what was called back then webmasters would uh, post uh, who ran similar kind of websites. Right, so to kind of like share tips, exchange traffic, you know, buy ads from each other to like, you know, get a little bit of traffic from them. You send some traffic back to them as well. But what I then realized is like uh, most of those uh, webmaster forums kind of like were broken down into two categories. Uh, half the people were operating like funny stuff and the other half of the people were operating uh, porn sites at that point. And by porn, I mean, it's it's not like, uh, you know, the, the porn of, of today. It, it was kind of like these, you know, walls, walls of pictures and you click on on like different uh, naked ladies, and then they take you to other websites uh, where you can see like a 60-second clip before you know asks you to pay some money to subscribe to something. And I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, the, I'm you know I'm I'm like 19 at that point. I'm like, hmm, I like naked ladies. Uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I should uh, do a site like that too. Uh, and uh, so then I'm like, okay, uh, you know, all, there was a bunch of software available to like operate those websites, but it was all kind of garbage all those sites look the same you know like they're literally indistinguishable from each other same bad user experience i would say so i'm like okay cool i'm just gonna learn some programming and make one make a site like that from scratch and you know i you know i read some books uh learned programming uh built a site like that from scratch and i think within a, a year of me actually launching it i i had the biggest site on one of these fairly sizable webmaster forums from everyone else uh, you know, that, that was, uh, it, it was a lot of work, but I, I had it like fully automated at that point where, you know, my, my work, uh, the work that I had to do like day to day was, was consisted about maybe like 20 to 30 minutes of just literally going into my admin panel and approving and denying submissions that were submitted to my website, literally mm -hmm. just judging porn <laughs> like <laughs> for half an hour a day. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was pretty great. Cause I mean, uh, at that point, uh, it, it, that site was generating close to, Forty thousand uh, US dollars per month. I had wow. no employees. I did. I basically I set up everything myself, operated everything myself. Uh, 
so th those were kind of like the heydays, uh, <laughs> I, I guess, early on, you know, early 20s. Uh, I had a lot of spare time, as you can imagine, because, I mean, half an hour work per day is uh, is not a lot of time to be gener uh, for the, you know, the benefits that kind of right. come, come in the mail in the form of checks. So I had like a lot of spare time to do other things. So, you know, I, I went to university. I'm like, oh, you know, my parents were always like, oh, why don't you go into school? I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll go get a degree. Why not? I have a lot of spare time. So I did do that. I went to U of T, which is the University of Toronto. Did nothing related to computer science whatsoever. Mostly like political science and geography. Got a degree in that. You know, at the same time, you know, school doesn't also doesn't take a lot of your time, especially if you don't really study and you're kind of like, oh, exam is coming up. I'm just going to brush up on Wikipedia and, you know, get a B because, you know, I wasn't really taking it seriously. So I passed all my courses. You know, I, I still had a lot of spare time. So I'm like, OK, uh, what else do I like? Oh, well, I like aviation. So I, I went to flight school, got a pilot license at the same time. Uh, that was that was kind of a, a lot of fun. Um, I, I put actually put it on hiatus for many years. I'm actually coming back to aviation right now. You know, uh, going out to the flight school, rent a plane, flying around. It's really fun. Cool. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so, any any particular favorite types of planes? Uh, I mean, the, the only thing you can rent in flight schools these uh, you know it's like it's like Cessna Cessna one seventy two for the most part. Uh, you know, some uh, some other places might you can get like a Diamond forty or something like that. Those are nice, but primarily Cessnas. Okay. Any dreams of one day working up to a to a jet? I mean, jets are uh, it's like the idea of a jet is cool, but they're not fun to fly, right? Jets are like if you want if you need to go from point A to point B. And you're gonna sit in the back and get wasted, right? But it's not. It's, it's probably. No, not, well, never, I'm, I'm, yeah. the jets that I have in mind is, and the reason I ask this is, um, well, obviously the you know Top Gun's out and um, and everybody's oh, loving yeah. that. Um, but then I'm I'm I, we just had the Seafair uh, hydroplane races and air show out here, and so we had. Amongst other things, we, we we had the Blue Angels flying over every day, and um, I you know I've seen a lot of stuff, and I'm still I'm kind of jaded and cynical, but it's still pretty impressive to see them fly over in formation. Yeah, no, that stuff is like really cool. It's uh, it's just like getting access to those planes is like nearly impossible. I mean, they they do, and I mean, people do sell like you know older Megs and yeah, you can get you can get like demilitarized F-16s in the United States. Dude, you got to have a connection in Belarus, man. They could hook you up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I pro like, even if I did, I probably wouldn't want to fly the hardware that they would provide. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. no, knowing how everything works in the uh, ex-Soviet Union countries, you know, n nothing will work. The ejection seat will probably malfunction. And uh, yeah. And it's just honestly, the operating cost of those things is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. and you're going you're gonna to be paying like close to ten thousand dollars per flight hour on that Ooh. thing well for a guy who's making forty thousand dollars a month before or, you know for for 20 minutes a day before he goes to college come on man <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i mean there's probably better better uses of money uh, 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 of that of that type of cash than you know sure. four hours in a flight or jet per month <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's flash forward a bit here. So, what was the inspiration for you to launch Windscribe? Right. So, I mean, like, uh, I guess you know, the heydays obviously don't last. You know, all all that uh, naked lady stuff did come to an end over the years. Uh, you know, especially once you know uh, uh, the adult entertainment companies that are well known today uh, kind of like emerged, you know, the types of sites that uh, myself and, you know, other people in that community were operating, uh, you know, they became irrelevant, right? So, uh, you know, uh, the peak of, you know, 40,000 
per month that only lasted for you know a couple of years, uh, right? And then it was a steady trajectory to the bottom, you know. And you know, I, I shut those things down uh, probably in 2009-ish. Like honestly, it's all a bit of a blur, getting old. But uh, <laughs> so after that point, you know, okay, so the uh, so the money train is is coming to an end. You know, I saw it earlier on as well. Okay, this is obviously not going to last forever. So okay, what else can I can I can I do uh, you know in in a, in a well in a non-porn space ideally, right? So uh, I've tried a whole series of other projects. You know, since I already had you know programming kind of figured out, so I'm like, okay, what else can I build? Try and, and see if it works. And I've built a whole bunch of different things. Uh, you know, any uh, stuff related uh, to uh, you know kind of like uh, like almost like a social network for students to kind of fill their spare time between classes because that was my one of my biggest problems when I when I was in school it's kind of like hey I have a class at 10 a.m and then I have a class at 4 p.m for example right and I book a whole bunch of space in between and I'm not going to go and study because uh, there was nothing really to study uh, and you know uh, it's been like hey I would love to like go and like you know meet people do, do stuff together uh, you know do some kind of activities hobbies or whatever so I'm like okay like let's let, let me build a website to do exactly this and I did. Uh, we did like a whole marketing push in Toronto uh, with all the major schools here to kind of like get people to know that it exists. We sponsored a whole bunch of events uh, to get people to you know come out, meet other people, and then the idea there was to for them to start creating their own events, right? Mm. But that kind of like a like a meetup.com or something like that, but but for students maybe on a small yeah, scale. Yeah, a, a lot more ephemeral and kind of like yeah. it can be like almost like one to one or like a small group. You know, it's like oh hey, I'm down to play tennis between this and this time. Who wants to like play tennis with me? For Dude, example? I I thought of something like that a couple of years ago, um, where you could just you know send up alert and say hey, um, you know. I'm I'm going to be in this in Shibuya. I, I spent a lot of time in Asia, for example, and I'm going to be in Shibuya from this time to this time. Does anybody want to do a language exchange, or does anybody uh, want to grab a beer, or does anybody want to go on a bike ride this weekend? Something like that. Yeah, it's actually yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. So, but everybody was down to come out to events that other people would organize, but nobody wanted to create them themselves right so like our biggest event like we threw like a big kegger you know like free booze that was like the biggest turnout i think we had like a thousand people show students. up <laughs> yeah yeah free I think we had a thousand people. <laughs> yeah free booze it's like hey okay like so gel together promote this thing but you know it it, it it was never meant to be and yeah that was promptly shut down after uh, a, a few months and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's let's try other things, you know. And like honestly, I I don't even remember all the things that I tried, but there were probably close to 20 different projects that I tried between the uh, uh, you know the porn days and uh, and and when when Winscribe over the course of probably like 10 years. Some were marginally success successful, others you know were not successful at all. Primarily the second one. <laughs> hmm. uh, then I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm I'm building all these different projects uh, for myself. Uh, you know, uh, let me maybe I, I should you know build projects for others as well. So I put together like a, a small development company. Uh, it was called Sparkit. <laughs> so we were kind of a, uh, just like a development agency, right? Come in, mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll quote you. We'll build your project, and uh, you know have like a, a steady stream of revenue as opposed to these kind of hail marys. So we, I did do that for a few years, and uh, while working on the very last project uh, under that company, which which was like a daily fantasy sport website, uh, we built that out as well. It was it was pretty novel at the time. That was like when DFS was just like starting, but there was already established, you know, kind of like 
big companies like you know what well, they exist today like DraftKings and FanDuel those were the biggest uh, two guys at that point I mean I, I think they still are so we built like a competing product uh, it, it, we had like a very novel scoring algorithm uh, we were again giving free money to people to uh, come and uh, join on the platform because we built that out but we were kind of like partners on the platform as well so uh you know and i'm not a sports guy like i don't really watch sports at all i don't follow any sports uh so this was not something that was like of any interest to me whatsoever and you know when you're doing something that is not interesting to you and you don't really you don't see yourself as the user of your own product that's it's really hard to succeed and yeah. you know what do you know you know it didn't <laughs> right so while it was already kind of on that trajectory it's like okay this thing is clearly going down you know the usual path so I'm like, okay, cool. Like what actual things do I really know a bunch about and, you know, industries that are out there that are kind of garbage and the products were at the time are, you know, very techy designed for not the average person and kind of, you know, VPNs kind of came on my radar because I was using VPNs for years before that for various purposes. And at the time I was using a company called iVPN. Uh, they still exist today. And honestly, if, if you're not a Winscribe user for, for any reason, I, I still highly recommend them. They're my second most favorite VPN out there. Uh, they kind of like did a good job explaining the product. Their app was very nice. They actually implemented, uh, you know, uh, like a, a firewall correctly uh, as opposed to what was uh, the standard back then, which is basically nothing. So the firewall kind of like prevents, you know, leaks in case your VPN disconnects, right? Uh, suddenly, for example, they were the first, I think they were the first ones to actually implement a proper well-made firewall. I'm like, okay, th this product is actually pretty nice, but it did have uh, downsides. Uh, so I'm like, okay, I, we, we can probably do something better than this. And that's what kind of sparked the idea to do Winscribe. Awesome. And Winscribe is a, is a free VPN. Well, it's a freemium VPN, so you can use it for free. Oh, okay. Uh, right. You can sign up uh, without any personal information of any kind. It's just literally a username and a password. That, that's all you need to provide to make an account. For that, we'll give you two, gig two gigabytes of you know free data per month, which is you know resets every month. Uh, if you give us an email, we'll give you ten gigabytes. Uh, you know the idea is there is you know if you give us an email, now we have a way to contact you. So now we can send you hilarious emails and you know get you to convert to our paid offerings, which is what pays for you know everything, you know including you. staff salaries, the servers used by free users as well. Yeah, that's kind of the model. So so if I was out in the market for a VPN. Um, what should I be looking for and why, and why and ultimately, I, you know, wh where this is leading is why yeah. Winscribe. Right. Well, uh, I, I can break it down for you very simply. If you ever see an ad for a VPN company uh, anywhere or a sponsorship on a YouTube channel, you do not choose that VPN company. <laughs> it's, it's literally as simple as that. And I'll, I'll tell you why, uh, you know, what do most VPN companies, you know, promise uh in their youtube sponsorships that you know uh it's a, some random sock puppet reviewer is now promoting you a security product that they're reading off a script or you know uh ads that promise you 100 percent anonymity or 100 percent anything and bulletproof x and y and z most of those things are effectively lies and just pure snake oil sales and that's what I would say vast majority of incumbents in the VPN industry, which I would say is one of the most toxic industries out there, period, uh, are, that basically engage in this type of, uh, you know, snake, basic snake oil sales. 
because uh, because I mean, like, if you if you're resorting to ads and advertising, that inherently involves heavy amount of user tracking because you can't break even on ads if you don't track your potential leads. It's just literally impossible these days. And you know, what do you know? The the the, the advertising sorry uh, <laughs> the advertising companies, the VPN companies uh, that do advertise. If you go on their websites, their own websites are filled with sometimes a dozen of different trackers from the same companies that they claim to protect you from. This includes Facebook, the Google, various advertising networks that whose sole purpose is to track users to sell them stuff, right? And they are those VPN companies are actively engaging in the same predatory practices that they claim their product solves. To me, uh, this is extremely dishonest and like highly hypocritical and, and honestly, just frankly disgusting, right? And uh, I think that's what sets Winscribe apart is we don't advertise, we don't sponsor anyone, we don't have an affiliate program anymore, we won't pay you to promote us, unlike pretty much most other companies, except IVPN. They're, they're still in, in that good book. They do none of those things either, which is why I still recommend them if you don't want to use Winscribe for whatever reason. So how yeah. did you get to 43 million active users with no advertising, no affiliate programs? Is it just simply word of mouth and communities? Well, uh, yeah, so I, I should add, we did have an affiliate program early on and mm. uh, we did discontinue it a few years ago for because we, we figured, hey, this is like very hypocritical for us to also keep an affiliate program. And and the reason, or the, the main reason for discontinuing affiliate program is who is the biggest user of these affiliate programs? It's uh, it's this uh, parasitic industry known as the VPN review industry. Uh, you know, those are the uh, the marketing websites that if you type in you know best VPN, you'll see like a million of those websites ranking VPNs in uh, arbitrary uh, orders. And I, that's I, where, uh, I hate searching for anything these days because that's what you're going to get. You get these yeah. lead collection, um, you yeah. know, digital marketing kind of just, and then, and then you're right. As soon as you go there, instantly you get served up a bunch of stuff from, you know, all the companies in that space that are subscribing to that method of marketing. Yeah. And, and I, I will tell you more. I mean, the, the, you know, despite what, what they claim that they have, you know, editorial integrity and blah, 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 every <laughs> single one will claim it. Most of those reviews are done by uh, like, paid bloggers on per article basis. Like the, if you actually read most of these reviews, you can clearly tell that this is done by someone who has no idea what they're talking about. Very generic. Very generic broad, stuff. Yeah. And the VPNs are marked but based on a single metric, I would say in 99% of the times is who has the highest CPA. So if I send you a click and they convert, uh, who will pay me the most amount of money? Right. And uh, for this reason, you know, uh, there, there's like a, the, the, one of the biggest VPN review sites is, uh, is VPN Mentor, uh, which was uh, acquired by Cape Technologies, which also purchased several other VPNs, uh, including ExpressVPN very recently. You know, uh, it's it, it's a huge conflict of interest for <laughs> for the same entity that owns a VPN product to also own one of the biggest VPN review sites. And what do you know if you go on it? Uh, what, what are the top three rated VPNs on it? It's the properties that they own themselves, right? And I, I guarantee you 99.9% .9 of visitors to those websites don't know any of this. Uh, you know, they're just going, oh, yeah, that looks great. You know, it's rated 10 out of 10 and it has all these features. Better purchase it. But it's it's extremely deceptive.
So where do you go, okay, if you're in the market for VPN or just for simple hosting, for example, and, you, you know, because obviously you don't want to do the top hosting providers or top VPN providers, um, where do you go to get, like, real intelligence? Well, honestly, in, in our case, uh, you know, if you want to say, hey, is, is Winscribe any good, uh, just go sign up for it and use it. We don't ask you for any money. That's why we have a, a, a free plan. Right. It's not one of these, oh, you know, we have a trial and then maybe we'll give you your money back if you answer these series of questions and then send us a hostage uh, video of yourself next to a wall begging for a refund. Uh, you know, you can just use the product and if you like it, you know, keep using it for free if that's enough for you. And for a lot of people, you know, free usage is, is still enough and they don't have to pay us anything. We had we have people that have been using us for, you know, since our inception entirely for free every month you know because the 10 gigabytes is enough for them and if it's not enough you know and you were happy with the service that that, that was that was rendered to you uh, you know feel free to upgrade to our paid offerings but i mean most of our uh, growth is entirely word of mouth like i would say uh, 90% of it cuz i mean in, instead of wasting 70% of your revenue on marketing and giving it to the vpn review sites which in many cases, in some cases, sorry, are worth more than the VPN services when, when they're acquired, as was the case with uh, VPN Mentor specifically. It was acquired for more money than one of the biggest VPNs out there at, at the time, which was a PAA, right? Just think about that. A marketing agency <laughs> that promotes VPNs costs more money than the VPN, one of the biggest VPN products out there. I mean, that, that pretty much tells you all you need to know about this particular industry, all right? So that's why we don't participate in any of that anymore. Uh, you you will not find Winscribe on a lot of these top 10 lists simply because we don't pay people money. Fair enough. So, so um, I mean, and right now you, you, you do have 43 million active uh, users. I, well, I don't know. Uh, how, I, how, that, that's, that's not exactly how we, we have a 43. Well, it's actually a bit more than that. Uh, registrations that, you know, since the inception of the company in terms of gotcha. actual, actual monthly active users, it's, it's less than that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's close to, I think it's about 7 million right now. Okay. Still, still impressive. Where do you go from here? Well, uh, we have a uh, quite a bit, big, big of a roadmap uh, in, in front of us. We're working on quite a bit of in interesting features internally uh, as well as ex externally. A lot of this stuff will be available in the coming months. One of, one of the more projects that we actually just wrapped up is the uh, in-memory node infrastructure where you know all our VPN servers operate entirely without any kind of disk backing. So entirely in RAM, because I mean seizures uh, in the VPN space are quite, uh, you know, are, are quite common. Because we do have servers in about 69 countries. Uh, you know, some of these countries have, uh, you know, very loose laws in terms of what the government can and cannot do, and do they even need a court order, or can just a bunch of dudes show up at a data center and be like, yeah, that server, uh, we're going to take it. Uh, and that has happened, uh, you know, multiple times. So the the idea behind this type of infrastructure is, you know, when when that does happen, and it will happen in the future. I mean, this is just a game of numbers. Uh, it, once the, the server sees there's actually nothing on it because everything was in RAM. You know, once the server's powered down, like all the all the you know your, your entire stack is gone basically, and there's nothing on on the disk. So we've actually just wrapped up the uh, deployment of of this particular system uh, actually just last week. It's still not fully pub it's not actually public yet at all. We just briefly mentioned in our Discord channel that this is actually completed uh, there's going to be a very lengthy kind of technical article that will follow uh, in the next uh, hopefully week or two that will describe 
what exactly we've been working on uh, for the last while with that particular system. And, and we have like a pretty big uh, user-facing roadmap in terms of the features that we can now deploy on this new kind of type of infrastructure. And this is all proprietary developed in-house? Uh, yeah, this is all developed uh, in-house. We are uh, open sourcing uh, some of our work. So our clients, for example, everything that's running on your computer, uh, you know, including like our Windows, Mac, Linux applications, the browser extensions, those are already open source. You can you know find the source code for that in our uh, public GitHub. The mobile applications will be open sourced very shortly as well. So the idea is like, hey, here's everything that's running on your physical device. Uh, you can see all the code. Uh, you, you can just go and build the app yourself if you really want to modify it for to suit your needs. Here's exactly what it does. So there's there's no there's no uh, hidden anything really. It's everything is above board. Uh, we have a we have a series of audits scheduled for the new infrastructure, which will happen uh, closer towards the end of the year, to kind of verify you know our, all our claims that we've been making for years, especially in the context of the new infrastructure, which is you know. Uh, pretty new so we want to make sure that you know we haven't made any kind of like gross mistakes but uh yeah who, who's 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 the auditing agency or which standard are you trying to become compliant with uh so uh, the one with our infrastructure audit is going to be done by a kind of a well-known company that's already done a few vpn audits uh okay. for for other companies i think they're, they're called cure 53 uh, and we do have a couple of other audits in, in the pipeline as well from a few other companies. Awesome. Uh, and then you, if that didn't, that doesn't keep you busy enough, um, you, you said that you're also the founder of Control D. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Control D is a, is a new in-house project. It's built entirely by the Winscribe team. Uh, we're currently in the process of also like splitting it into its own separate legal entity and a, as a separate standalone company. But currently, it's basically a kind of like a sub-brand of Winscribe. Uh, it's uh, Control D is a DNS service, so it's not a VPN service. There's no applications to install, like on VPN, right? It's an, it operates at the DNS layer. So when you sign up, there's a web panel. Uh, you know, we'll give you your own uh, private DNS resolver. You, you set that up on any device that you want. Uh, in fact, it, it's compatible with pretty much every single connect, internet-connected device out there. You can put it on your router. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on your computer. Put it on your smart toaster if you want. Uh, you know anything that literally can talk to the internet, you can set this up on. And uh, in terms of functionality, there's some overlap with what you know you can do with the VPN. You know, so you know people use VPNs for let's say like geo restriction unblocking, for example, right? You will connect to a, a server in United Kingdom, and then now you can you know watch BBC iPlayer, for example. That's like a common uh, use case for VPNs just outside of the realm of privacy. Right, so you can do very similar stuff with with Control D, except there's no applications for you to install for you. Uh, you can just toggle the service on, you know, and we would just browse normally. You would navigate to their website, or you know, open up their app, and that app or that website will see you in the UK and and only that particular service and nothing else. But then you can create very unique browsing profiles where like different services can see you in different places all at the same time. 
There's also the privacy component where, you know, it will block ads and trackers if you'd like, you know, it will block porn if you'd like, it will blo block gambling websites if, you know, if you want to like stop gambling and, you know, control your urges. You can use it for parental controls. So you can create a schedule saying like, hey, uh, no internet on my kids' devices between this and this hour, you know, and social networks never work except for, you know, like on a Sunday when they've finished all their homework or something like that. Games don't work either unless, uh, you know, they've been very good and finished all their homework as well. So you can use it for that. You can use it for personal productivity controls. You know, if you need to get stuff done, you can block, you know, Instagram or or, or whatever services that you end up wasting time on. You can get, get those automatically blocked or you can choose to block them at a specific time to, so you can get stuff done. Is this Is this available now? Yeah, no, that's available right now. Uh, we're just emerging from beta. Uh, it's actually been available for the last year, but very kind of stealthy. We have not marketed it. We have not promoted it. Uh, there's uh, the only people that know about it that just kind of like discovered it, again, by word of mouth. And uh, we're just prepping up for a big kind of like marketing push for this particular project. Uh, once we re uh, release uh, one of the few remaining features that we feel well, not we feel like we've obviously spoken to to to, its, to the current users, and uh, they requested certain things to exist. So we're basically actively working on making those things exist before we kind of uh, emerge into the great beyond and get more eyes on it. And how, and how are you going to charge for it? Um, so I mean, there's two plans, right? Uh, it's uh, you can check it out right now, controlD.com. So there's two plans. There's the one called Some Control. That basically gives you some control of your browsing activity and by that we mean you can effectively that's just a blocking only plan so you can do anything related to blocking like ads and trackers you know porn uh, block this service block that service so basically it will prevent certain things from loading on whichever device you have it configured on at whatever schedule that you like and then the other plan is it kind of interfaces with uh, windscribe infra infrastructure with all the servers that windscribe operates in the 69 countries where we actually have uh, dedicated servers in, where you can unblock content through these machines, kind of like a VPN, except without the use of any applications at all. So there's nothing installed on any device. Awesome. Hey, um, I got to ask you, I mean, because, you know, we, we've been talking here for about 45 minutes and, you know, you've run me through a very high level kind of overview of maybe five or six different businesses um but obviously you've been involved in more what advice would you give to um, let's just break this down into two areas one to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and then two anybody who's um, concerned about internet security or cybersecurity. right well i mean as a general thing in terms of just general entrepreneurial spirit uh, i would say do things that you act uh, for yourself like consider yourself as the customer of whatever that you're building if you're building something for uh, that is uh, for some random hypothetical person that is not you uh the, you're probably going to fail you you have to like, actively enjoy uh the sub the subject or the area that you're that you that you want to you want to pursue and and be your own customer and use your own product pretty much on daily basis because uh you know uh, while using your own product which i you know do obviously for everything recently that i've done you'll notice things you'll be like oh this sucks or that sucks i should change this i should change that oh that's a little bit annoying you're, you're constantly going to be iterating on the things that you've put out because the first thing you're going to put out is probably going to be trash right but through you know rapid iteration 
uh, you, you can you can polish it to to be the product that you probably envisioned. And the best way to do it is to use it yourself. And you know, constant self-education. You can literally learn everything that there is uh, to learn about literally anything online without going to school. Like you, you honestly, unless you want, unless you want to get into like medicine or like you know build bridges or something like that, uh, you don't need to go to school. Like especially for anything computer science related, you can learn all of this. There's so many great tools out there. There's so many uh, courses that you can take. A lot of them are free. Uh, you can literally, uh, if you're willing to learn, you can learn literally anything and then use those skills to, you know, you, uh, to improve whatever you're working on or even build it yourself. That's some great advice. And the the converse holds true as well for me. I, I, you know, I've used products or services in particular that are so clunky or clumsy and, I, and you just know that the developers or the you know the the, the product officers or whoever's running the show have they don't use it because if yeah. they used it they would realize that this this the ui is dysfunctional or it's just way way too clunky and it's um it kind of yeah it's kind of maddening man so um i i like that that you got to eat your own cooking and you got to be passionate about it you got to be into it um now back to the security side okay we're all consumers out here um what what should we be concerned about? I mean, security is like a is a very general subject. It de it all depends on kind of like what what your I guess attack vector is. You know, security for someone you know live live uh, for like a regular Joe Bob living in the United States or Canada or you know Western Europe is is a different thing than for uh, you know a whistleblower or you know some kind of dissident in China or in Russia or anywhere really where there's uh, there's an oppressive regime and you're actively trying to disrupt it or work against it or spread some type of information that the regime doesn't want you to to spread like uh, the stakes are a lot higher if, if it's the latter case right so if you're, I mean, if you're Edward Snowden and um, <laughs> you, you probably need something more than just the run of a run of a run of the mill you know virus blocker uh yeah and honestly a, VP, a vpn is also like if, if your only defense is a vpn uh you will have a very bad time in jail uh because a vpn alone will will not do a whole lot of stuff it's like security is, is more of a mindset rather than and a vpn is just one of the tools that you should have right i mean i would say it, it, it is mandatory to have it but if that's the only tool you will have a bad time it, it, you, you have to kind of like uh, you have to understand uh, the approach of uh, of you know the adversary. Like how, you're you're doing something that they don't like. What are what are the ways that they can you know de-anonymize you or track you down, right? And your IP address is just one small piece of the puzzle, right? If you just you know change your IP address and you keep using your same emails and same browsers that have the same cookies uh, to do something that they don't like. All of that will come back to you, and it's fairly trivial to 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 find people like that, especially if you have, uh, you know, access to you know uh, internet service providers, their logs, and uh, other companies that you can just subpoena and get all this information uh, about a particular person, account, or anything like that. Okay, but for the Joe Bobs of the world, what should we be yeah. doing? <laughs> uh, honestly, for the Joe Bobs of the world, uh, I would check out our blog we actually have quite a few articles exactly on this topic in terms of how how you should you know 
model your threats uh, and kind of and what you should be doing at the bare minimum, even if you even if you are just a Joe Bob, right? So I would literally just check out our blog. There's a lot of easygoing articles uh, that we've written. You know, our, our communication style is is very unlike most other VPNs. It's not just drying, boring information written by uh, a marketer. Uh, you know, uh, myself, I, I write quite a, a few very technical articles. And I like to throw in jokes and funny examples. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of great information there, to be honest. Awesome, man. I'm, I'll put links to as much as I can in the uh, the show notes. Hey, Yegor, I really enjoyed this conversation. You've got a tremendous uh, amount of experience, a very interesting background. And I'm sure that you've you're, probably got about another 10, 15 good uh, business launches in you as well. So uh, I hope to keep in touch and uh, wish you and the team of Winscribe and Control D the greatest of success. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was nice chatting to you. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.